0: Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Luke is writing here about the history of the church. Verse 1. Why don't we all stand just as an act of worship? Last week I had you guys say, speak, Lord, your servants here. I think we're going to bail on that. We're not going to do that. (laughs) Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came... Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Let me pray for us. Father, we invite you, Spirit, to to open our hearts to you and to empower us. Each of us, respectively, needs a source of strength and healing from outside of ourselves. And so we yield ourselves to you now, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can grab your seats. So as I said, this is our last session in our value series where we have been looking at simplicity, stillness, and spirit. Simplicity, stillness, and spirit. These three core values that operate like filters that help us make the decisions that are in accord with God's will and behave in ways that are in accord with God's will. And this passage that we just read is an important transition point in the overarching story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. God in the the Old Testament, God in the Old Testament was very selective where he manifested his presence. So when God does show up in the Old Testament as you're reading through all of those stories, he shows up like a burning bush when he calls Moses. Or we see him showing up leading the people of Israel out of Egypt in pillars of cloud and fire. Or we see him in Solomon's temple in the books of Kings, filling up the temple with so much glory, smoke, and fire that the priests can't even go into the temple because the presence of God is so thick. But his appearances like that in the Old Testament are very rare. And even more rare is how selective God was of who he would place his power upon from the outside, the Bible characters that he would pour himself upon. And so there are names like Moses and Samson and David. That's just a very small group of characters. Those men and some women, some prophetesses within the Old Testament, some judges like Deborah, they received a unique empowerment of God from outside of themselves, but they were very rare. Now, for millennia, God's people had been clinging to these promises made by their prophets that one day God would pour out His Spirit on all of them through the Holy Spirit, who we talked about last week. God with us, God upon us, and God in us. So from our passage, Peter explains to these observers of these people that suddenly began to speak in different languages, strange languages. They could understand what each other were saying. Peter explains to those observers of that moment that that moment was actually the fulfillment of all of the prophet's promises that one day God would pour out His Spirit on all people. In particular, Peter quotes the prophet Joel, and he says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And that is where we find ourselves as a tiny little church plant community. We are in the last days And God's spirit is being poured out on any human soul that will say, I surrender to you, Father. I surrender wholly to you, my creator. And so our third value, simplicity, stillness, our third value of spirit, it is about, as a community, our commitment to be continually praying for and waiting for and surrendering to God the Holy Spirit in everything that we think, everything that we say, and everything that we do. And all I want to do for our time together this morning before we return to song and communion is I want to highlight three from the passage itself, three primary works that the Holy Spirit does in this passage, and I want that to form our prayers as we come to communion this morning, and I want that to form really our longings and our desires as a church. First, the Holy Spirit empowers surrendered humans. Second, he unifies obedient humans. Third, he speaks the language of love and praise. First, the Holy Spirit empowers surrendered humans. So this group of disciples, they weren't clear about their future, but what they were doing was they were seeking God in prayer so important. This group of disciples, about 120 of them, very small community of people, they did not know exactly what to do. Jesus had ascended unto the right hand of the Father, but they were waiting on God and opening themselves up to God himself. They were uncertain about everything, but they were surrendered to their Father. And then the text tells us, Luke tells us, that something like a rushing wind, it doesn't say a rushing wind, but something like a rushing wind or something like tongues of fire came down upon them. The point that Luke is making is something profound happened to this small community of Christians as they were waiting on God and opening themselves to him. As their hearts were yielded, God came upon them with transforming power. And that power, note, came from outside of them. This is very important. There are a ton of problems in our world today. You and I, we each have our own set of problems that we're dealing with. The world, our souls, they're broken places, and we all long to see ourselves and our neighbors and our world fixed. And the cultural mantra of our day is, Well, look within yourself. Listen to your heart. Be true to yourself. You have all it takes. Dream the dreams. But I think if we're humble and if we're honest and if we listen to the videos playing for the kids, (laughs) if we're humble and if we're honest, we all know inherently that we don't have what it takes. We feel it. We experience it. We don't love as we should. More often than not, we find ourselves being selfish even though we don't want to instead of being selfless. We envy and war with each other instead of celebrating and supporting one another. We objectify and use each other. We demand our own way and we tend to oftentimes demean another person's way. And so our society is drowning in diverse opinions and dogmatic views and they are all in combat with one another the talking heads, the Twitter feeds, the Facebook posts, but the more we look within to find in ourselves the way out of this mess, the more entrenched we become in our opposition to the one whose inward look is different from ours. So Luke's description of this event emphasizes a lesson repeated over and over throughout the biblical narrative Namely, the problems in our lives and in our world, they arise from within us, and we need a power to come from outside of us to be transformed and healed. When humans look away from themselves to God, the Holy Spirit comes from outside and enters into them. And in so doing, he initiates this whole constellation of healing and transforming works. We don't have time to list all of them. This is just a brief smattering of some. He makes us new, or he regenerates us. He pours out God's love in our hearts, Romans 5, 5. He adopts us, and he makes us God's children. He imparts God's wisdom and mind within us. He seals us for eternal life. And one day, the text tells us in Romans eight eleven, he will actually raise our literal bodies from the graves. So when we turn from Jesus, we've given our lives to him, but we turn from him and we willingly live in sin, we actually begin to quench the works that God is doing inwardly in us. We actually, as we talked about last week, we begin to grieve the Holy Spirit. It saddens him. It breaks his heart. But he patiently keeps working with us. He never ceases working with us. And as we turn in repentance and return to obedience to Jesus, God the Holy Spirit continues increasing all of that constellation of works, of regeneration, sanctification, comforting, convicting, all of these things are continually at work as we turn back to Jesus. When we turn away from Jesus, the Spirit is there to always redirect our attention to him. Also, From the outside, the Holy Spirit uniquely manifests certain gifts or abilities through each one of you. These manifestations or these gifts, they're detailed in different places in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Romans 12, 3 through 8, 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. None of those lists are exhaustive, but they're simply examples of how the Holy Spirit comes from the outside and enables people to do certain things. So, those gifts that are listed in those different passages in the New Testament, they range from miraculous things like what we're seeing in this passage, speaking in tongues, totally different languages, or prophesying, or miraculous things like healing. The Holy Spirit also comes from the outside and empowers more normal things like giving somebody wisdom, the ability to see a way forward and to do it effectively and efficiently, or gifts of teaching, or gifts of leadership. And we're told that the Holy Spirit even does and empowers super normal things like administration. And so God the Holy Spirit, he enables some folks to speak a different language and other folks to be really good at Excel spreadsheets, all for the sake of multiplying his kingdom. Every day and every moment, every action that we take for us, that is an opportunity to be open to the Holy Spirit manifesting in sometimes a super miraculous way, but also in super mundane ways. Sometimes, you guys, when we're seeking the Holy Spirit, there's going to be a profound sense of rushing wind and fire, and we're going to experience his presence in unique ways. But oftentimes, there is no sense of feeling at all. Faith and obedience are... Always embrace the reality that the Holy Spirit is always at work in our nondescript days of work, study, commuting, dinner making, diaper changing, and TV watching, if we're open to Him. Now, there are some key definitive marks of Spirit-filled people And this chapter emphasizes them. We didn't read the entire chapter just for the sake of time. But as you work your way through the rest of the chapter, you see a process whereby the Holy Spirit is given a pathway to enter into people. And after the Holy Spirit comes upon and enters into and transforms, there are some definitive marks of that community of people that he produces. So Peter, later on in the chapter, you can read it for yourselves later. After Peter concludes, and it's literally the first sermon ever preached, he exhorts his listeners to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So repentance is the door that swings open wide the heart to receive the Holy Spirit. Baptism baptism is actually an act of total obedience wherein a human is saying, I am now immersed in God, and to show the world I am immersed in God, I will be immersed in water, which if I was to stay under the water too long, I would die, but I'll be raised out of that water by the power of another. It's all this amazing imagery saying, I have died in Christ, and I have been raised to new life by the power of another, the Holy Spirit, And so those 3,000 people that heard Peter say, repent and be baptized, did just that. And the Holy Spirit was given to them. And the text doesn't tell us that they all spoke in tongues. In fact, what it tells us in verse 42, if you have your phones or your Bibles, read with me, Acts 2.42. The Holy Spirit marks of a community of people was, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Spirit-filled disciples committed themselves to the core practices of being the church together. What did they do? It says that they obeyed the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is what you and I now have in our New Testaments. So Paul, John, James, Peter, all of these authors, they were the apostolic authors, and we have their teachings captured in the New Testament They lived together as a family caring for each other's needs. We actually read in chapter 2 that they sold everything and cared for one another as a sacrificial family. Absolutely incredible. They practiced communion, the breaking of bread. Not just a little cracker and wine or grape juice, but literal meals together. Their first century church, Paul called them love feasts. sounds like a bunch of hippies in the 60s. Love feasts. But they would get together and they would commune with one another. And they would remember in those times of communion, common union, they would remember Christ's sacrifice. And they would introspectively look in their souls and say, where am I needing repentance in my life? Where am I needing to move forward with Jesus? Where are you needing? And they would hold each other accountable, in common union, in communion with one another. And they prayed. They prayed like crazy. What these Spirit-filled Christians did at the very beginning of the church was they became a community centered on and obedient to Jesus as the highest and final authority over all things. And that's the second big idea that I want to highlight from our passage. The Spirit unites humanity. The Spirit unites humanity. So there's this tiny little community of surrendered humans in the midst of the vast Roman Empire. And they were inwardly transformed by the outward power of God. And God, in that tiny little community of people, he unified them across former cultural Racial, gender-based, political, economic, and class divides. This may be the greatest miracle of the Holy Spirit. Enemies in the early church became family, literally. Luke lists us, As you read that back section that we read this morning, Luke lists off all sorts of different nations and peoples, all those weird names that none of us can pronounce, nor do we know where they are in the world. All of those nations and peoples and languages, they all came together And the miracle of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit was that everyone who was watching this take place, they could understand what each other were saying to each other because they were being enabled by the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues. Okay tongues. Wow, super weird, especially if you're new to the Bible. I've been reading the Bible now for 20 years. Tongues are still super weird. We're not going to do a lot of detailed teaching on the gift of tongues. There's essentially two sets of tongues. There's this, Acts chapter 2. There's 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Someday we're going to do an entire series on the teachings of tongues. What is tongues for? How does tongues function in the church? For today, we want to look specifically at these tongues in Acts chapter 2, this miraculous Transformation of their language so they could hear each other and know this. Those miraculous tongues that happened in this moment in our passage, they were a sign. They were a sign that God had initiated his grand recreation project to remake the world as he always intended it to be. And these tongues, you guys, they were a sign that God was intent on remaking the world by partnering, coming upon and entering you. By partnering with humans, God wants to remake his world. Now, to grasp what was happening here in the story arc of the Bible and in the story arc of creation and humanity, I want to read a story to us from Genesis 11 because it gives us the backstory to this tongue-speaking event in Acts chapter 2. We're going to read the whole passage. It'll be up on the screens for you. It's probably going to raise a lot of questions for you if you're new to the Bible, and one of the things that I'm thinking about doing, you guys, is if you have questions about the Bible, what we could do is you guys could text in those questions to info at sdneighbors.church, and then I could respond to them and have other professors of mine respond to them via the podcast. Uh, I don't know. We would call it Q&A or Q&R, question and response, something like that. So if you have questions, always go through teachings, write them down, email them to info at sdneighbors.church, and we'll see if we can start some sort of cycle like that Genesis chapter 11 back on point here now the whole world this is ancient ancient creation the whole world had one language and a common speech as people moved eastward they found a plain in Shinar and settled there they said to each other come let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly this brand new technology brick and mortar They used brick instead of stone and a tar for mortar. Then they said, wow, we've got this new technology. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. In summary... This passage is just a repeat of Genesis chapter 3, humans taking into their own hands, making their own way into the heavens, trying to become their own gods. The Bible is like a skipping record as it describes the human heart's propensity to always choose to make a name for ourselves apart from God. Over and over and over, we try to be like God and without, except without God. And so in this ancient story, humans actually had one language. They were totally unified, but their unity was being used to build a tower to the heavens to become their own gods. Their brilliant ingenuity was actually separating them from God. And so God in his mercy, rather than let them build a tower unto themselves that would separate them from God with their newfound technology, God in his mercy put a stop to all of it by confusing their languages so that they couldn't communicate with each other and ultimately destroy themselves. Jumping forward to the passage that we're studying this morning, this morning, this moment in Acts is the reversal of the Tower of Babel. It is the reversal of the confusion of the languages of all the lands. Because in this moment, this Acts moment, as the Spirit pours out, everyone there could understand what the others were saying. And so the tongues were a sign that all humans surrendered to God. They would be filled with the Holy Spirit. They would unify in language, and they would unify under God's rule. They would unify under no longer making a name for themselves, but making and lifting up God's name as they praised him and loved him. And that's why the church, the church is to be radically diverse and radically unified. What the Spirit does in this day and age is he renews every culture across the globe by reorienting the cultural values around kingdom of God values. He enhances each culture's, every culture has unique details and preferences and traditions that are, some of them, congruent with God's kingdom. So, for example, in our current cultural moment, and our society, we love the social justice initiatives of Jesus' teachings. We love when Jesus talks about caring for the poor, We love when Jesus talks about racial reconciliation. We love when Jesus talks about gender equality. And we should love all of those things. Those are all in line with God's heart for human flourishing. But our society is also extremely bothered by the sexual ethics of Jesus and their stringency. And so the Holy Spirit comes to a community and to a culture like ours here in the United States, and he increases our, he enhances, he amplifies our commitment to justice, to care for the poor, to racial reconciliation, to gender equality. At the same time, he calls that culture and its values that are misaligned with God's kingdom values to repent, for us to repent of our sexual rebellion, So he strengthens and he convicts. And he does this across cultures, in every culture. And across cultures, there are innumerable arrays of beliefs and behaviors and traditions and preferences. Some of those beliefs and behaviors align with God's prescription for human flourishing. Some of them are neutral, neither here nor there. And some of them are directly opposed to God's will. So music, dress, ways of communication, time awareness, how one interacts with authority... The diversity within cultures is endless, but the Holy Spirit comes, amplifies that which aligns with God, honors that which is neutral, and doesn't demand that it fit other cultures' neutral aspects, and he redeems and renews that which is not aligned with the kingdom of God. As he empowers a community, he compels that community to let go of our neutral kingdom behaviors and beliefs. He compels us to let go of our preferences so that we can interact with other cultures who are different from our own. And what we need to understand is that division always results from entrenching ourselves in our preferences and traditions. Unity comes when we die to self and serve others who are different from us in the joy of the Holy Spirit. And now in our passage, the Spirit, He crossed over literal, national, political, and even literal language barriers to unite humans in this moment to reverse the Tower of Babel moment. But in our modern context, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to unite across languages. We have refugee populations, we have massive Spanish populations that are uh, Spanish-speaking. We have every tribe, tongue, and nation represented in the United States. And the Holy Spirit, as he pours out upon communities, he wants to bridge those gaps through translation. But I think as well, he also wants to bridge the cultural language barriers. The cultural language barriers. What do I mean by that? Let me explain. Our society is fracturing in this moment into tribalism. I've actually heard some talking heads say that our society has never been this split since the Civil War over various ideas and dogmas. Race religions, gender disparities, moral, social, psychological paradigm shifts, identity politics, social media rants, they've all created this cacophony of opposing warring factions. And now each of these tribes, each of these factions, they have very specific emphases that they emphasize. They have triggers and trigger words. They have trigger phrases. And each of these factions, each of these kind of Separated tribes within our culture, even though we're all speaking English, speak different cultural languages, and that is what makes them different from one another, to the point where here in the States, we literally cannot understand each other anymore. It's like we're speaking past each other. The Holy Spirit, though, in the church, in communities like this, in communities all across the land, within the church... The Holy Spirit wants to reverse that confusion within this community of people as a beacon of light, as a way of hope, as a new way of being human in this world. What we understand is that every tribe, including our own, whether we're red or blue, Democrat, or Republican, whether we're Mac or PC, whatever we are, wherever we find ourselves, whatever tribe we're in, all of us are just trying, like those people at the Tower of Babel, to build our own tower to get into the presence of God. The presence of God means love. The presence of God means acceptance. The presence of God means significance. The presence of God means security. And so every tribe in their own way is trying to build their own tower to be in the presence of God. But what the Bible teaches us is that Only when God the Holy Spirit comes from outside can we truly be brought into the presence of God. So no matter which tribe, faction, or place we come from, we all need forgiveness, we all need love, we all need truth, we all need acceptance, we all need salvation, and the Spirit points to the rule of God, and our obedience to Him is the only answer. So if confused humanity has both literal and cultural languages that divide us, then what the Holy Spirit does is he creates a new humanity that's unified with one consistent language, not literal language, but a cultural language, because the Holy Spirit, third, speaks the language of praise and love. The Holy Spirit speaks the language of praise and love. Notice verse 8 of Acts chapter 1. As they're listening to all of these foreigners, all of these strangers, all of these immigrants speak, They're saying we hear them, we can hear them in our own language, declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. The Spirit unites us with the language of gratitude and thanksgiving for what He has done. His wonders on our behalf unite us in praise. The Spirit compels us to love the other by listening to and learning from those who are different from us so that we can seek their highest flourishing no matter what it costs us. When Jesus, and I want to set up a contrast here, when Jesus and obedience to him becomes the central unifying force in a community, then, then this is what happens. Those that were once enemies, those that were once talking past each other, those that there was no way they could understand each other, when the Holy Spirit brings them together and begins to speak through them the wonder of what God has done in forgiving them, then you can take the most polar opposites And you see them sitting together in one place, loving each other. This means like the Birkenstock-wearing, vegan, eco-friendly, socialist professor from Berkeley. (laughs) She she comes to know Jesus. She comes to be forgiven. She comes to be accepted. She comes to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And she also finds herself one morning sitting right next to the red MAGA hat-wearing Southern boy from Kentucky, who's inviting her to go get steaks right afterwards, even though he's a vegan or she's a vegan. And she goes, because the Holy Spirit there is creating that unity where they, they were once far apart, they can go and talk about the wonders of forgiveness and God's love, and how they and their varying kingdom values align, so together they can change their world. When the Spirit pours out, we have to let go of our preferences and our traditions and our cultural comforts, and we learn to listen, and we learn to speak the language of the other for exposure to God's love. And as those barriers break down, prejudices are actually replaced with prayer. As we receive forgiveness, we forgive. As we are transformed, we praise God together. And this is why, you guys, as a church, we have to intentionally resist the racism, the sexism, the political tribalism, and the classism of our culture as a spirit-filled community. Now, as we get ready to ap- wrap this up, well, every human... Will everybody on this campus at some point be hearing us speaking their language? We're crossing the barriers. Will humans receive all, will every human receive this gift and, and hear this universal language of love and thanks to God for what he has done for us? Absolutely not. Of course not. Even from our passage, some people actually made fun of the tongue speakers. So this amazing miracle is happening. They're hearing them speak in their own languages. And some people are like, dude, they've been drinking wine. It's like nine o'clock in the morning. What is going on? They literally accuse them of being drunk, and that will happen, that will happen. Some are going to hear our language as a community of faith, and they'll end up saying, you're crazy, you're crazy. I can't let go of my traditions. I'm not into that kind of music. I don't dress that way. I don't hang out with those kind of people, the other. Some will entrench themselves. Unconsciously and some consciously will entrench themselves in their traditions, in their preferences, and they'll say, you're crazy. There's no way that that I want to be part of something that's not more homogeneous instead of heterogeneous, different from one another. Some will actually say, especially because the language that the Holy Spirit produces is towards Jesus, for Jesus, about Jesus. Some will say, are you kidding me? Especially on a campus like SDSU. You're trying to tell me that an ancient Jewish peasant, like two millennia removed from me where I'm at here in 2019, you're telling me that this Jewish peasant named Jesus was charged with treason, killed by capital punishment under the Roman Empire, and now you're, you're telling me that he's the alive, literal, living, and true king of the universe, and that, that I need to surrender to his rule And that that's the answer to all of the world's problems and my own problems? Are you wasted? Have you lost your mind? And I'm sure many of us have experienced that. We need to be okay and love the one who still can't hear with a fullness of sacrificial faith and a fullness of care and concern and prayer. We are not here to persuade. We are here to speak the language of love and the language of praise to God for what he has done for us and in us and through us. Because when we do that, when we surrender to that, some will hear. Some will, even that we once considered our enemies, some that we would have never hung out with in this life, they will become our dearest friends. And as we continue to just proclaim the goodness of God, and we, we learn to listen to what other people value, and we speak across those bridges as the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and provocative friendship with people and in hospitality towards people, some will hear and they will join in this kind of anthem of praise that's being lifted up to God in small communities like ours, in mega churches up the street, in Every language across all of the globe, across all of the world, we join in with that one anthem of praise. Here's what I want to close with this morning. Maybe God the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart. Maybe you're you're sitting there and you're saying, "Yes, I I actually want to I want to live into this life. I don't want to waste my days. I don't want to miss my opportunities for how God and why God created me there's some very key commitments that we need to make to be filled with continually filled with the holy spirit and i just want to walk us through those number one commit to a local church where he unifies humans i can't stress this enough in our western context Where God works and where God, the the pioneering, groundbreaking, trailblazing work of God, the Holy Spirit, in bringing humans together in unity is in a local church. And so without commitment to a local church, we'll never actually see the front work that God is doing in that kind of pioneer frontier place if if there's no commitment to a local body of believers no matter what your cultural background is and the problem i'm going to rant for just one moment the problem the problem with and i'm blind to this as well as i say this out loud i'm the first to admit i have millions of blind spots is we think that the local churches we look for local churches that align with our cultural preferences and our cultural beliefs the language of the local church shopper in today's culture is well the music, well the preaching, well the community, well the pastor, well the ba ba ba. And we look for all that we would prefer. Whereas when we open ourselves to committing to a local church, we're actually saying, I'm setting aside as best I can. The preferences that I see, and I want to yoke myself to those that are different from me, see things different from me, and I want to learn how to live in love and sacrifice for them. Number two, to be open to the Holy Spirit is to be obedient when he speaks. And I think that oftentimes we do hear the Holy Spirit, but we don't want to do what he's guiding us to. I think that oftentimes we are hearing him speak, and I think he's speaking to the deeps, but that requires a level of surrendered trust and surrendered obedience that justifiably is scary. We don't want to do things that might cause us discomfort or pain. That is so justified. But as we commit to a local church, and we allow God the Holy Spirit to pour out God's love in our hearts, and we are transformed from the inside out by his grace as he makes us fully us, what happens is he then sends us into the world, and we are to obey when he speaks. These disciples, they stepped out in radical risk. And that's really what God is waiting for, even this week, is for those of us that will simply say, I'm willing to risk. I'm willing to take a step of faith. I'm willing to commit. I'm willing to do that which I can't see will unfold in the future. I want to do that because I want to be in intimate union with the Holy Spirit. And then third, we really do need to ask God to fill us. We need to ask him to fill us every single day and by faith receive his power. Remember, being filled with the Holy Spirit, sometimes you'll pray, Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit, and it will feel like rushing wind, and it will feel like tongues of fire. And I can tell you I've had multitudes of moments, especially when I was a baby, baby Christian, first exposure to the church and the Bible, where I had times where a literal tongue of fire in my mind came down and filled up every vein in my body. And that was 20 years ago, and I long for that. But I am at a stage of Christian practice now where I realize... Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit, and it goes completely still and quiet, and I embrace that the Spirit is filling me right now. The Spirit is present right now. He is available, and His work is oftentimes counterintuitive to the way that we think He should be working and doing what He does. Luke tells us that Jesus actually said, look, you've had fathers, and when you went to your fathers and asked them for bread, did they give you a stone? No, of course not. How much more will your perfect Father in heaven when you ask him give you the Holy Spirit? Moment by moment, day by day. And Paul caps off that generosity of our abundant God by saying, he, Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Paul is saying, if God would give Jesus on the cross to absorb all of our divisions, how much more does he want to pour himself into us on a day-to-day basis? If Jesus was willing to be literally torn apart in humanity's place, in your place, in my place, so that we could be unified under him in resurrection power, how much more now that he's given his life and resurrected from the grave, how much more now would he say, yes, my people, I want to pour out the Spirit. My prophets promised that the Spirit would come for millennia. And now, today, here, in this Sunday gathering, is opportunity for us to open by faith and receive what Jesus has done for us. When he was on the cross, all of the rage that we experience at the travesties and tragedies of our society, all of the isms, sexism, racism, classism, all of the sin of our lives, the brokenness, the selfishness, the lovelessness, Jesus took all of that into himself and on the cross, that which divided us and destroyed us and ultimately brought our death, he died that death for us. If he was willing to take our self destruction into himself out of love and grace and mercy, how much more this morning, even, would he pour into you the power of the Holy Spirit for those of us that ask?